Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Collective podcast. Uh, we are back after a one-week hiatus. Um, we just couldn't get around to meeting each other. We do have lives. But we are back at it this week with obviously a quick review of the World Cup final. Um, and then we're going to be looking at the start of the Prem um, and how the Prem has started, how the table started to shape up, who looks good, who looks bad, um, before another mass debate, which I think went swimmingly last time. Well, my, our, our, our virginity in mass debating went really well, I think. Yeah, no, it was good. If um, yeah, it looks like you listeners liked it as well. So I'm glad, uh, glad it went down well. And obviously, keep dropping your masturbate topics to us on socials because um, yeah, we need plenty of questions in so we can keep this running every week. Um, yes. So yeah, keep them coming into at Rugby Collective on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Yes, fully. Um, Let's just touch on England first. I think um, we're going to focus more on the World Cup final. Uh, I don't even know if you've seen this game. It was kind of a bit understated. Uh, but England did beat Argentina and got the bronze medal um, at the World Cup, which, I mean, nobody really cares about. Uh, did you watch this game at all? Have you seen it? Oh, I can tell you the score. I can tell you anything. All I know is Harry uh, Henry and I was talked about on socials for dropping a stinker because nobody gave him the ball. That's all I, uh, all I know. Do you know who won? <laughs> I know, I know England won. I knew okay, England. England won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Um, Aaron, yeah, I, I it got to the point where I saw his stat line and he had like one missed tackle and no other stats. I forgot he was on the pitch. Um, when it when it came to it, and then I saw his stat line, I was like, oh yeah, he was playing. Um, but overall, in, for me, it was quite controlled by England. I know it was tight in the end, um, but every time they needed to, it felt like England could stretch their legs. Um, they were a bit sloppy, but then it was half of a second team. And to be honest, I think it was quite impressive that basically a half half um, English second team could fairly easily dispatch Argentina. I just felt I never felt we were going to lose the game. Um, so that's what I thought was most impressive. Um, obviously, in that game, we saw farewells to Ben Youngs, um, and then we've looked, since learned that Johnny May and Courtney Laws are both hanging up their international boots. Um, so obviously three massive players um, who have a wealth of experience and caps and, and Johnny May's try, uh, Johnny May's tries for England. So three probably England legends. Um, I thought Courtney Laws was excellent. Um, we may be releasing a thing later in the week where we we do our team of the tournament. And for me, I had Courtney Laws in at six. I thought he would, especially when he came to knockout rounds, he was phenomenal for England. Um, so yeah, I, I fair play to all three of them. Yeah, as you said, three probable um international England legends. I think Courtney Laws has had a fantastic tournament. I think Ben Youngs has taken an awful lot of stick over the last year or two. Um, but I think yeah, it's it's, it's quite easy to forget how how sort of brilliant he has been in an England shirt. I think uh, Johnny May is also probably can be painted with the same brush, taking a little bit of stick because there's some young guns that are. Wanted to take his place at the moment, but he has been exceptional over the years for England. His try scoring record speaks for itself. Um, I think for me, uh, Johnny May is one of my favourite players of all time. Um, so, yeah, sad to see him go on the international stage, but hopefully they can all still put a little bit more into their club careers and, uh, yeah, what what three useful players to have all season long um, in a club shirt. Yeah, fully agree. Um, and also, I'm guessing, from, I haven't seen this, but I'm guessing from an Argentine standpoint, Augustine Creevy is probably hung up his boots. Um, so we'll put it past him to keep on plodding on. They have. 
I, I wouldn't put it past him if he, uh, well, if he keeps on plodding on. What is he, 37, 38 now? Um, He's up there. He's up there. <laughs> I can't see him really uh, carrying on. So I, um, but uh, that is pure speculation. Maybe we'll see him in the next World Cup at 30, 41, 42. Maybe he's evergreen. Yeah, he is. Um, got just. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure Sale fans will be looking forward to seeing him for the first time. Um, going on to the main game, and I'm assuming you saw this one, the the World Cup final. I did. I did see this one. It was a bit. Well, I think it was a bit of any game we've seen South Africa play this tournament. Really, a bit boring. Oh, what? No way. Not not in boring, but as in a bit. It's not exciting. Is that the? I disagree. I disagree. I think you know what I mean. Do you know what you mean? When you saw, I saw. Uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Ireland, New Zealand. For me, that was a very really exciting game. I I just felt for large sections of this, it was a bit of a. Especially first half, I felt. I felt second half. Obviously, New Zealand were behind, started to have to open up a bit and go for it. So I think second half, it did improve. But I thought for the first half, it was quite nausy. Oh, I disagree. I think, well, maybe maybe, maybe it was, and maybe that's why I loved it, because I love uh, games like that, as you know. But I think we saw drama, we saw cards, we saw cards that should have been cards, we saw um, decisions which, which probably should have been, which weren't cards, we saw big hits, we saw running rugby, we saw nudges in behind, we saw chip and chases, we saw... We saw a boatload. We almost saw drop goals, but both of the attempts were absolute gash. Um, absolutely awful, bloody yeah! What was called terrific <laughs> efforts? Um, I'm I'm proper bad at drop goals, but I reckon I probably got a little bit closer than those. Um, we saw kicks. We saw tries. I I, I was. Who was your man of the match? I think for me it was clear. Mm. Who would you go for? For me. Clearly, the best player on the pitch. Well, there was two that stood so out. There's, one, there's what I've got one, one on each one team. I think is better. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go one on, on each team, team. but Peter to Ste- Peter Steph to Toy was yeah, unbelievable. I thought he was everywhere. He pretty much man marked Jordan, uh, Jordy Barrett. Yeah, um, tw- twenty eight tackles, wasn't it? Something like that. But Jordy Barrett, every time he got the ball, he'd be having nightmares about him. Every time he got the ball, he got absolutely railed by him. And I thought actually Jordy Barrett had a very, quite a good game. Um, but yeah, every time he uh, got the ball, he just got clattered by him. He was everywhere, winning penalties, tackling everything, disrupting anything that all, uh, the All Blacks tried to get going. I thought he was excellent. Um, the other one that the only other player that I thought got close was Ardi Surveyor. Again, such a good player, um, absolute standout leader. He pretty much on his own, he he almost carried New Zealand to that um, win if they managed to get over the line. It would have been pretty much because he put them on his back. There was the one, it was a great visualisation of that when he uh, it was in the corner and he, with about four South Africans on top of him, drove, carried on walking forward towards the try line. And he had about yeah four South Africans on him. And obviously these are massive blokes. I thought he was immense, as he has been all tournament. Yeah, I'd agree with both of those, actually. Both both really well. well I think uh, you've got to give it to... Uh... Bit stuff toy just because because of the the win I think and I think even beyond that I think individually the defensive display he showed was a joke and I think it's easy to forget how much he contributes and attack is why he carries really nicely um but he's also got really deft hands as well for a 
well, I'd say deft hands for a big man. He has deft hands on on any scale um, that you'd use to measure it. But but for a big man like himself, who, who carries with so much power as well, um, yes, fantastic skill set. And so nice to see him back to his best. Because I think going into this tournament, a lot of people probably would have been saying, oh, well, he's, he's out of form. He, he's not the player he once was. He's not the same player he was in 2019. But I think he, he, he silenced a lot of people and um, showed exactly what he can do. And, and yeah, probably blown most people away with that yeah no he was excellent um i think the other thing just going back to our predictions at the start and i'm pretty sure i said will jordan will be top try scorer and i nailed that and i'm pretty sure i said Ardi surveyor will be player of the tournament and i'm not sure if he got player of the tournament or not but in my books he was player of the tournament so um i'll take both of those yeah, no, you certainly did better than me. I can't even remember what I predicted, but I know you probably did better than me. And I, I'm pretty sure you said Pernod for top tries. I said, yeah, I think I did say Pernod, which didn't quite work out. But I don't think it's a completely unfounded... Um... No, it's one of those. I had New Zealand go into the final, and so Will Jordan made sense to be in the team. Um, and I think you have France. So if France had got to the final, in all likelihood, Pernod would have been the top tries. Winner. Um, I think... When you look at the game as well, the big area for me why South Africa won this game, and we'll talk about the red cards in a minute, is for me they dominated aerially. And something which, when you look back on the England game, and especially Johnny May, Elliot Daly, Freddie Stewart, they were so much better under the high ball and South Africa got so little joy. And I think that's why England nearly won that game. Um, But for New Zealand... uh, you saw so many times where either South Africa reclaimed the ball, the ball hit the deck. Uh, it, it was, uh, I thought that was their one area where they were not maybe naive, but also uh, just targeted. And I thought South Africa got a lot of success. And yeah, England, I think it, it was a credit to England almost how well they shut down that. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a big area for New Zealand. It, it Pretty much any time they put a high contestable baller, South Africa were winning the ball back and it was just so profitable for them to get up the pitch. I think the other thing, obviously, is the big difference was Andre Pollard in from minute one and in the end his goal to kick in told because obviously if Moanga slots the conversion, they win. Or the penalty they missed as well. Um, they win. Whereas obviously uh, Andre Pollard is absolutely brilliant off the tee. So yeah. um, those little things. I'd probably just counter it with, I think the, the the thing for New Zealand was their attack just didn't seem as coherent and, and very minor, minor differences in, in sort of um, just timing errors, I guess, with the way the passes were were sent, with the way the runs were timed, all of these sort of things. But, but I, I think do, that's South Africa's defence. You want to look Yeah, that's what I was, yeah. uh, was going to say, yeah, the intensity. And, yeah, and you look all tournament, and, and if you looked just the score lines alone, New Zealand have been the far superior team in, in terms of being uh, more exciting, being more dominant, because like in the semi-final, obviously, probably easy opponent, but they put like 50 on Argentina, um, free-flowing, looking great, where realistically, if you look at any of the games, they do- South Africa dogged it out against Scotland um, and narrowly won that game. They lost to Ireland in the group stage, um, dogged it out and just beat France, dogged it out and just beat England, and then obviously in the final, even with a man up, won by a point. So I think if you looked at just the scores and the, the way they play, it is that dogged, gritty, um, not overly 
pretty style of rugby, um, but it was effective and it got them there. Although it, Cheslin Colby spent the last 10 minutes uh, hiding his face because, wow, that I can't think of anyone else who's been more nervy than that man. Yeah, can't blame him either. Talk about weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, it was definitely a yellow card. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and that brings us on to should, should New Zealand, uh, South Africa win the game? Because for me, this made the difference in the end. Um, Sam Kane red card. Yeah, it was a clear um, red. I want, yeah, I was going to say I want to hear your opinion because mine is different, I think. Yeah, it's clear as day red card. He's, he's never in a position to, to, to get low in the tackle. He's actually rising in the tackle. Um, I mean, there is an attempt to wrap, but he's never going to get a wrap around there before his shoulder goes absolutely through the skull of the South African player. I mean, it's. I, I don't think you'll see a clearer red card. So for me, it isn't. Yes, I, I, I have no idea how you... Please enlighten right. me, because I have yeah, no okay, idea okay. how you can yeah, find no, that. No, I, see, mine is, by definition, yes, it's a red card. However, by the tournament standards and how we've seen them be more and more lenient throughout this tournament, which we have. First weekend, fully agree, that's a red card. We have seen them find any little bit of mitigation. What, what is the mitigation there? The mitigation is Jesse Creel literally turns, instead of running up the pitch, suddenly goes right, takes a step straight into Sam Kane. Yeah, but that is so, that is void because Sam Kane is rising in the yeah, tackle and he never starts low. Yeah, but that's not my point. My point is... There is mit- so that is a form of mitigation there, right? He is ch- sudden change of direction. Yeah, but mitigation is only considered listen, when you're not tackle. Let me finish. Let me finish. They have looked for all tournament since pretty much the first game, the first week where they were given reds out willy nilly. When they've gone to the um, bunker, they we've seen some for me awful decisions where it's a clear red and they've only given them a yellow because they found the smallest amount of mitigation. And for me, based on the tournament standards and how they've refereed the previous rounds, that's why I think it should be a yellow. It's, there is a little bit of mitigation there, which is, and in previous games, all they've needed is that tiny little bit of mitigation and they've n- not given the red card. Now, do I think by the letter of law, that's a red card? Yes, I do. It's only because on the previous and how they've handled the previous scenarios, I think if you're going to do it a certain way at all tournament, then you've got to enforce that. Okay, even in the biggest game. Okay, that is the final. If you've been refereeing to a certain standard, and for me, some of the I'm thinking back. I think it was Tonga. Was it Tonga? Can't remember who they were playing. Tonga played someone, and there was an awful shot straight to the head, and that was a yellow card because there was a little because um, the player dipped, and it was literally the tiniest amount of dip. And for me, it's a similar thing. Okay, there was a late change and it is a small bit of mitigation, but based on what I've seen, some of the other decisions, for me, I think you have to say there was enough mitigation there. Um, I reckon you are absolutely waffling out your no, rear. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, but Basically, I still think you're waffling because they 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 only go to the mitigation once they look to see if there's anything that Yeah, I know, but I've seen so three or four red cards in this tournament which they give them mitigation where it's like they're upright in the tackle, it don't matter. And they've still given mitigation. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't argue with you on it. I can't argue that's, you clearly stuck in your point. But I reckon you're waffling no, out I, I your think it's a red card. 
I think it's a red card, but based on the consistency and trying to get consistency throughout the tournament, I think you have to look at it being yellow. Yeah, okay. That is that is if if I saw this say this weekend in a prem game, that's a red card. Do you know what I mean? But because yeah. they've they've refereed to a standard, and I think they re- realised they were in a pickle because they realised if they kept red carding everyone who went to the bunker, if you think after the first round how many red cards you saw, these squads were going to have no players left because everyone was going to get a bloody red card. So they ended up trying to find any mitigation and letting them off. But then in the last game, doesn't matter if you get a ban now. They've kind of been tight again. Also, a little note. Why the hell was Tom Foley in VAR? Uh, VAR, sorry, TMO wearing a suit? No, I respect the suit. It's a World Cup. No, fine. I thought he looked like a right tit. <laughs> I mean, he only looked like a tit because no one else wore a suit. I think, I exactly. think, suits, I think he's led the way. I actually, I actually commend him. But no, you are right. When I saw him, I thought, oh, you look a bit silly there. Yeah, but that's I, what I mean. If if they'd all done it, if, if everyone in the VAR, uh, keep saying VAR, in the TMO booth had all worn suits. I would kind of understand it. The two mates next to him were in the world rugby jacket things and he was sat there in a suit looking like a right tip. And also he had a black tie on. He looked like he was going to a funeral. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I, no, I, I do commend the suit. Though. I like I like the idea of the suit, I'll be honest. I think he uh, looked very smart. I just feel he should have, feel he should have com- uh, committed. Everyone should have done it or none of them. Um, but to be yeah. fair, I like Tom Foley as a TMO. I think he's very... Um, He's very what's the articulate and um precise. Yeah, no, true, yeah, yeah. And uh I commend him being the uh the uh, the shining star. But anyway, New South Africa to only win by a point when you face a team with 14 men for so long, um, you're crap. <laughs> but also I think the other thing, I was looking, I was looking over the the av- the age of this squad. And for me, it really felt like South Africa knew this was their last chance for a while, probably. Um, so many, especially in the pack, so many of those players, it's definitely their well, 90% chance it's their last World Cup. So I really think, unless they get a load, a wealth of young talent, talent come through in the next couple of years, they're probably not going to be at this standard um, for the next World Cup. So I really do think a lot of those players really put it on the line because they knew, right, this is our chance. Um, a lot of these players are in there. Early thir- early to mid thirties, um, and probably yeah, we'll never we'll never see in a World Cup again. So, yeah, maybe. Boy, I don't know about that, but they've uh, they they came to do what they wanted to do, didn't they? And um, well, when you look at the squad, I didn't think so. And then I looked at the squad age, and it's all 30, 29, uh, 28, uh, no, 30, 31, 32, all that sort of age. They've got very few, um. They've got Andre Pollard, who's about 28, I think. And then they've got a few that sort of age. And then they've got none 24, 25. The only real youngster they had in the squad was Moody. Um, everyone else is is getting on towards 29, 30 and older. So, But the thing is, they've, they've done their back-to-back now, haven't they? That's, that, that was yeah. the goal. They, that, this, was, this was always the goal since the 2019 World Cup. So they've, they, they've got their... Um, their double. Now they can spend the next four years blooding in these new players and seeing which ones are available. So I think it's an exciting time for South Africa. We we know they've got a production line of ridiculous talent, um, and it, it's time to to start blooding them in on the international scene. So it's um yeah, I think it's quite exciting. I, I always think an international rebuild with the right coaching setup and and foundation is really exciting. So 
hopefully we, we see an exciting South Africa keep pushing forward. Yeah, I agree. Oh, oh one last little bit to touch on the microphone. Wasn't there some poetic justice in Mbanani going down after two minutes? Um, we'll move on. Um, Ardi yeah, Sabaya um, won the World Player of the Year uh, as we, we were just speaking about it. He was He's just excellent, isn't he? Um, potentially yeah. best player in the world? Yeah, yeah, most likely. I'd also just like to, to add quickly before you paint me with the same brush as you on that Bongi and Banami decision. Um, those are the views of James and not of both of us. I didn't say anything. I just said there was poetic justice in it. I think that is fair and we shall move on. Um, but yes, Ali Svea, excellent. Uh, he's, yeah, he's just a beast. I, I think any any team in the world take him right now. Um, I know there was some chat. I think when we had the type five guys on, they said that they had Caelan Doris over him. Um, I don't think there's a, you can say that now. I mean, I actually don't think Ali Svea's had the best tournament as a whole. Um, oh, shut up. He's been excellent every single game. I don't know if he has been as excellent as based on his own high standards. But um, yeah, in the final, he was... Um, Just look at his fantasy points, mate. He's flying. Mate, I had him in for a long time on the old fantasy and he did not do me as well as... Uh, I had him in every single week, apart from when New Zealand didn't play. And he got me about 45, 50 points every week. And I'm pretty sure he was the top ranked back rower for points. But he... Um, I do, oh, I do oh like Will. Who who came higher in the fantasy as we're talking about? I'll be dead honest. I stopped playing in the quarters, but um. Well, that's just that's just poor effort. That it is. It is. It absolutely is. I'm assuming you you trounced me. Yeah, yeah. You? I beat you. I beat you. Yeah. Was it? Was it? Uh, by masses. No, it wasn't. But I didn't change my team for the final because I forgot all the final weekend because I forgot. <laughs> yeah. So did I. To be fair. Um. So, uh, but. My team was basically the same because I had a lot of South African and New Zealanders in. So um, I came 13th. I also, because I accidentally put myself as a Bermudan rather than an Englishman, I came 14th in the Bermudan League. So that's pretty good. Top 15, well played. I know. There was 100 odd people in there. Um, but shout out, hang on, I'll just find, uh, I just want to see who won our league. Um, shout out to AJ. A AJ STR AJ Stir 30 uh, 17 sorry um that's a very good 5547 um and came top two uh no how and he came 100 or oh, 98 points ahead of Connor Tierney who came second and Sons of Frank longtime leader actually came third yes yeah, Sons of Frank was right in the driver's seat for at first yeah he came 110 point. points back in the end stinker um, I came yeah, 13th. Yeah. Will, you came 17th. Yeah, well, you can't win them all, can you? Can't win them all. I can feel my rugby knowledge drifting away by the day, James, I'll be honest. To be fair, and you were only 100, uh, 110 points behind me. But we shall move on. Um, wor uh, World Breakthrough Player of the Year was Mark Talea. I didn't realise. How, how old is Mark Talea? I mean, I think he's like he's not like young, young, but I think it's because he's never he's not really been on the international scene. That yeah. much. He's twenty six, so he's like a good age. He's a good age. Is that a good age? Is it twenty six? Well, he's not like a young. He's not like a young, like just starting to come in to no. the rugby. But then he's also not a seasoned vet who's getting a last chance type thing. You know, like he he's got every chance to be in the next World Cup. 
Yes. No, and I thought he looked excellent. Um, the game that I really, I thought he was really good was Argentina. I know Will Jordan got the hat trick, but um, he did some unbelievable things in that game um, and was really good in the final as well. But um, yeah, fair play to him. He was up against uh, Biel Biari. Is that how you say his name? The French winger? Um, Libok and Tamati Williams. Yeah, I'd go with those pronunciations. No. Uh, Libok, I don't think, could have it after his... He had a bit of a stinker at the World Cup, didn't he? Unfortunately. No, I disagree. I, no, I don't think he did have a stinker at the World Cup. He literally got poked after 30 minutes. Yeah, but that, that wasn't ne- necessarily because of a stinker at the World Cup. That's because they didn't want to... They, they knew he was that playing they like a donkey. No, I just disagree. He, he was unbelievable in the loose. Everyone looks at his kicking deficiencies and think he had a shit tournament. He didn't have a shit tournament at all. He was one of the best playmakers in the tournament. Oh, yeah, for that free-flowing Scott side that didn't score many points. We're agreeing to disagree a lot today, James. Well, they didn't have a single player in the top 10 point scorers. Um, Mate, and they would literally before. watch him play. Like, Do you not yeah, see the, the no-look? They won the tournament and he didn't have a single player in the top 10 point scorers. So I think that kind of shows you they didn't, they weren't free-flowing. And if that's your argument, and they won the final... So they played. Well, sure they didn't have a, a single out of um a, a one single point of a, a point scoring. What? I mean, like if you look at Will Jordan, scored the majority of New Zealand's tries, so that's why he's going to be well at the top of the list of, of points. He was scores, tenth. Right? He was tenth. But this is what I mean. So he's going to be above because he scored abundance of tries. I, I think you you can't argue that Manny the Box was a, a fantastic playmaker. Because he was. Yeah, I, I think it's down to if you've got someone who's a fullback who can kick, then I think you're right. If you're relying on him, if he played in the World Cup final, they lose the final. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, I think to say he had a stinker of a World Cup is incredibly harsh. Well, when you get hooked in after 30 minutes of semi-final. Although, maybe that's just speaking on the excellence of uh, Andre Pollard, which, I mean, you can't really you can't really deny. Andre Pollard is bloody brilliant. Yeah, Andre um, Pollard's fantastic, obviously. And arguably, they did it all without having the best 13 in the world not play for them. Who? Hey, look on your arm? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, very, definitely true, yeah. Think how dominant they could have been had he played. Um, I mean, I'm not no discredit to Jesse Creel, but no one's calling Jesse Creel the best 13 in the world. Um, uh, no, see, I've, the, the thing is, Jesse Creel had a fantastic tournament as well. Oh, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if you went into the tournament, um, no one would have said Jesse Creel was the world. Like, every, like, Am is definitely top three 13 in the world. No one's putting Jesse Creel up there. Do you know what I mean? That was kind of my point, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, World Coach of the Year was Andy Farrell. Thoroughly deserved, I think. Yeah, uh, for sure. I saw a little bit, of, uh, a few people giving him grief, saying Rassi should have been it. But I think when you look at the actual rugby over the year, rather than just the tournament, um, Andy Farrell. If you were to give this award before the World Cup, Andy Farrell would have won it hands down. Not a single question asked. Um, so yeah, I think for me he definitely. Uh, yeah, and he got. If I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Warren Gatling gave him. Well, he he suggested that he should be the next Lions coach, which I don't think anyone can. Um, 
deny, especially as it's probably going to have a heavy Irish contingent. Contingent, sorry. Uh, interesting to note that um, Razi Erasmus wasn't even a nominee. Oh, really? I didn't know that, actually. So the other nominees were Ian Foster, Jacques Nienber, Nianabar. Yeah, it's Nienber. Okay, I'll admit, I was laughing at your pronunciation and absolutely bottled it myself. Yeah, and the Fiji coach, you, Simon. <laughs> yeah, probably. He, he was awesome, too far. I would have liked him to have got it. Um, it's just difficult, isn't it, when you've not won anything? Like, I obviously, Ireland won the Grand Slam earlier on. So it's difficult for him to win it. Yeah, it's a shame he had to walk. Well, he, it's a shame he's walked away from the the, the post, isn't it? I, I completely understand what he's Apparently, he's not seen his family in about a year because of the. Um, they live in Australia, so he's been traveling and stuff, getting stuff ready with, ready with the Fiji team. So he's not really been able to see his family over the last year. So you can you can completely see why he's taking a step back from it um, after having a great tournament. He, he's laid some brilliant foundations there, hasn't he? So whoever comes in next, hopefully they can pick it up. Um, and keep Fiji progressing. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, because they they look going going well. I just hope for them that they don't bring in Eddie Jones. Obviously, he's just walked away from Australia. Um, but I don't think that he really suits their style of rugby. Um, also, just to, obviously, Ian Foster's just walked away from New Zealand as well. They brought in Scott Robinson, Robert Robinson Robertson, whatever. Yeah. Oh, my days. If he can bring anything like his Crusaders record, which if you haven't seen, he had about 110 games, won 90 of them, drew two of them and lost like 10 ever, uh, which is obviously a ridiculous record. If he can bring that sort of form to New Zealand and they were already, realistically, no one thought New Zealand were winning this tournament um, after their poor form just before the start of it and obviously getting fairly, fairly beaten on the opening night. If he can bring the talent Oh my days! They could be unstoppable in this World Cup. Yeah, completely agree. That they are, and obviously he knows a lot of the boys. A heavy Crusader um, influence in that uh, New Zealand squad in and around there. The amount of people that New Zealand are losing to retirements and things is huge. So again, in a similar spot to South Africa, that we're going to see a big um, revamp now from New Zealand. So it's going to be really they... interesting to see how they they come in. I'm not sure yeah. they lose as many. Yeah, with uh, I'll try and get the list. Because if, if you think players that started this year, final, Cody Taylor will probably be about. Ethan De Groot will be about. Scott Barrett will still be about. Um, Ardy Surveyor, maybe maybe not. He's 30, so it's close. Um, Aaron Smith will probably be gone. Uh, Richie Moanga will still be there. Geordie Barrett will still be there. Uh, I, uh, I think Rico Ioni. I'm not sure how old he is. Um, but I, I think they still keep a good... Good core of that team, Will Jordan, Talea. I remember seeing something where um a few of them went. Uh, there was it's like a games, it's, it's like Aaron Smith's gonna go and Whitlock, uh, Whitelock, sorry, and Bowden Barrett. Is but how old's Bowden Barrett now? Uh, he's so, gotta be gotta be early thirties for sure. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, I'm working, but, on, yeah. I'm working on it. Um, what's the other second row called? Um, Brody Retallick. So it's big names. It's, it's big, big. Yeah. Leagues. So the the ones on here are. Um, Aaron Smith, Brody Retallick, Sam Whitelock, uh, Dane Coles, Richie Moonga. It was Richie Moonga, not Bowden Barrett. My bad. How was um, Richie Moonga? I thought you said young. 
Richie Moonga is 29. So he could still be about at the next World Cup, 33. So I mean, well, he's he, this is this is official that they're going. This this isn't like speculation. This is a really this is official retirement. Yeah, yeah. Um uh yeah, Shannon Frasal. Um Lester. Um yeah, I know who you're on about. Yeah, I can't pronounce his surname. But uh yeah. But apparently actually just looking at the the um the comments, some people are saying because that some people are saying they'll be back because of um they have to so say give up their international career for now because of moves or A and out of the country. Um Yeah. So uh, so because say Moanga's going to Japan, he won't be able to play until he's back from Japan. That's fair. That makes sense. So okay, so maybe these guys aren't retiring, but um Well, yeah, Brody and Calix not gonna be about. White Locks not gonna be about. Yeah, so there, there's gonna be some that are retiring, some that aren't retiring, right? But um but yeah, you, you get the gist. Yeah. Um on to the men's try of the year, which was Duan van der Merva's excellent try against England. I mean, it was a good try, but it was also horrific defending. Like horrific defending. Um yeah, he did other... just run in a straight line, really, didn't he? In, in yeah. I mean, he does step a few people, but, I mean, what are the England defence doing? Um, the other ones nominated was Damien Pinot's try against Ireland, which was really nice. Some uh, interplay with um, Dupont for that one. Uh, Hugo Keenan's try in the same game against Ireland, uh, against France, sorry. Um, I can't quite remember that one as well. Uh, and then uh, Fiji's one when they beat Georgia in the last minute with the uh, uh, offload from Lavani Bottia. So I don't even think that's the best one in the World Cup. I think when you look, you look at if you're looking at ones from the World Cup, the best game was for um, the Argentina Japan game, whether the lock chipping and chasing down the wing. You got Mateo that was Carrera. To be fair. Yeah, you are right. That was very good. Yeah, Mateo Carrera scored a couple of worldies in that one, and Japan scored another one as well. That was a worldie. So I think, um, but fair play to Duan. Um, it was quite spectacular how many defenders he'd managed to beat, but I don't know. It's always, I guess, any try you look at, you can go, it's good attack or it's bad defence. It's, it's one of the, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's always going to be that sort of aspect, isn't there? Yes. I For sure. But so. no, I've got no problems with it being the, the try of the year. It's obviously a great try. Um, I just wonder whether... Maybe maybe because it was scored against us, we're like, oh, awful defence. Oh, I think if uh, Johnny May or... Someone like that had scored it. We'd be like, "Oh, what a worldy try!" Yeah, to be fair, to be fair though, at that time I was in such a disconnect with England that I, I genuinely don't care or didn't care. Well, didn't they batter us that day? I think. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone was really that enthusiastic with England at that time, were they? No, but I'm I am I'm quite positive. I think we can really build and push on from where. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's why I said yeah at that yeah, time from right, the World Cup. I've. Started at the World Cup and I was like, oh dear, here we go. Um, from what I've seen over the last few games, the last few performances, I think we can really go on and build from that. Here, here. But, James, it's Premiership time. It is, is Prem time. It most is most important. Time. And it's exciting to have the Prem back. Now, I didn't watch many Prem games this weekend. So, what we're going to do, rather than our normal breakdown of a lot of the games... We are three weeks in. I think it's a good time to step back and evaluate and kind of look at how the teams are doing. Um, 
who's surprised us, who's uh, underwhelmed, um, or what? where's the state of play um, after we've seen a few games? Obviously, certain teams have been missing a, few, a lot of players, um, and I think that kind of does shape the table. But as we go in, into week four now, uh, the bottom two are Newcastle and Saracens, um, and the top two are Bath and Exeter. Now, I'm not sure many people predicted Exeter to be second and Saris to be ninth when we did our predictions. If anything, we predicted them the other way around. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. So, should we start at the bottom, work our way up? Well, not, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. Well, I don't think we need to spend much time on Newcastle. Um, I've actually got some positive things to say about Newcastle, believe it or not. Uh, yes, okay, but okay, we will we will go into it, but. It's kind of what we expected. Is that is that harsh? Yeah. Well, I, I think we should go through, but do it brief, like just a yes. brief little yeah, we'll brief. little thing as we go. Um, so I think briefly, Newcastle haven't been too far away in any of their three games. Um, I think their game against Bath reflects quite badly, actually, with a, a seven point difference. Sorry, an eight point difference. Um, well, which yeah, is to, to brush it, they've got a minus fourteen point difference, and they've lost all three. So it shows how tight their games have been. Yeah, exactly that. And I think they, they only just lost to, to Gloucester if it wasn't for a last bit of heroics from the Gloucester defence. And then again, against um, against Northampton, it was a very narrow two-point margin as well. I think the, the thing for me is Newcastle look like they want to attack. I think Stevens on the one wing is a, is a, Stevenson's is a great player. I think either he's not Mateo Carreras, with all due respect to him. Um, so once he comes back in, I think that will give them a, a real boost. They've got a lot of Argentines coming back as well. So I, I think there's very positive stuff from Newcastle and it's not all doom and gloom. And they, they do look like an exciting team. I think San, uh, Kingston Park might be a, a, a tough place to go. So that, yeah, that's my positive little segment on Newcastle. It could be. But with we know how difficult it's going to be for a season for them anyway. Um, so these sort of games, they need to win though, isn't it? They, if they want yeah. to avoid the playoff game, this is a sort. These sorts of games, the the Northampton, the Gloucester, even to point, especially as both of those, I believe, are at home. Um, when it's that close, you need to be winning those if they want to avoid that playoff. Because I wouldn't want to be playing Ealing. Um, next up, surprisingly, Saris. Now, how? Well, I don't know. They have obviously they do miss a lot of players, um, but they had a lot of them back. If you look at even the first week, they had Riccioni, um, Theo McFarland was back. Um, and since then, Nick Tompkins has come back, which I think was a massive, in their win, um, Nick Tompkins in the middle of the field is, is such an ad, because I'm not sure that Ollie Hartley was going too well in the, the first two games. Um, but they've got a lot of their players back, obviously still missing both their, both their hookers. Um, Owen Farrell, obviously a massive miss, um, among others. So... But yeah, it's just been a bit underwhelming. But I'm imagining we'll see a bit better when some of the other players come back. Yeah, and that's it. I don't think any any Saracens fans particularly worried about their season. Um, but it gives a a little bit of perspective, doesn't it? Uh, it? It seems like the first season they've actually had to worry about depth in some capacity, which is almost quite bittersweet in a way. Um, obviously, bitter for them, sweet for everyone else. But um, it's. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's anyone's worried about Saracens. And they just picked up a huge win against Gloucester where they uh, looked back to their dominant best. So, um, or, well, or, or a lot better anyway, at least. Well, yeah, but they had... Uh, well, they've looked better each week, haven't they? 
got absolutely battered by um, Exeter, then lost, but a little bit less um, against whoever they played in the second week. It was, I can't remember. And then, was it Bath? Uh, yeah, um, just a fairly narrow... Well, actually, a nine-point loss to Bath. Yeah, and then they beat Gloucester quite comfortably. So if they keep getting better, they'll they'll be fine. Um, Leicester. Now, I think if you actually look at Leicester, they're the ones that their squad's been decimated. They have no pack at all. Yeah, um, they, they have been hit hard, haven't they, Leicester? I think, I think in the first two games especially, that, uh, that showed... Um, obviously picked up a real gritty win against an informed Bath. So I think that's a huge bonus for them, especially sort of mentally as well, um, which I think is, yeah, something that they'll definitely take in their stride um, and take on with them. I think Jamie Shilcock has looked like a revelation at 10. Oh, um, he, looked, he was so good against Bath. So good. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic. Um, off the boot, brilliant and creativity wise, brilliant. And I think he, uh, he made a big, big difference in carrying a, um, yeah, a depleted Leicester side, really. So it'd be really interesting to see how they come back up. But just quickly, um, only on worry. This one... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, only worry is Charlie Atkinson. Obviously, big hopes for him, and then he's, yeah, yeah. I suppose that I suppose it's a it's a case of um, the pressure, right? I think coming off the bench, having a few cameos here and there is one thing, um, and then it's very much another thing. Um, just expected to be the starting ten. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah maybe... But he was starting for Wasps, so... Yeah, very true, very true. But um, I think maybe... Um, yeah, the one thing I was going to say is apparently there's a, a clause in Dan McKellar's contract. Obviously, just come in as Tigers coach, first season, um, and then he may be off to Australia very soon. So be an interesting one to keep an eye on that because that would be very unfortunate. They lose Borthwick, wait a season to um, get him back, get, get a coach in full-time, and then lose him early doors. So keep an yeah. eye on, on that one. I bet they can't wait for Ben Youngs to come back because talking of Aussies, that Aussie they brought in at nine has been football. Yeah, very he didn't have a great... Uh, he almost lost in the game, didn't he, against Bath? Yeah, he has been very football in every game I've seen him in. Um, but hopefully he'll improve as he's got a better pack in front of him. Um, and obviously Ben Youngs comes back and, well, obviously Jack Pack Van Portfee is going to be out for a while. Um, but yeah, once they get a lot of their pack back, they should be better and obviously... Horrible, horrible conditions at the wreck on Saturday, I think. Um, yeah, and definitely. they managed to battle their way to get a win, so massive for them. Um, uh, yeah, so they'll be back, I think. They just gritty and they, they know how to win. Um, moving on to Northampton, and yeah, ODR for me, yeah, and ODR our prediction of both of us who had them finishing second. Oh, yeah, they do not look very, very good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's um. I think I was clouded by the way that I kind of had in my head that they were still going to have Alex Mitchell because he didn't go with the original um, squad, did he, to um, to England and then got called up. And I remember thinking in the preseason that, oh, these guys could be pretty handy with that sort of 9 and 10 combo from the off. But yeah, they're, they're missing a lot of key boys as well. Lost the likes of Dave Ribbons as well, not got their uh, new Fijian replacement in there that they, they are a little bit depleted. And I, I think we can make this excuse for every team and, and how that's going to change them. But yeah, I think there's a long way to go for Northampton, but they're yet to impress um, fully. So yeah. I, I think with Northampton, that they haven't lost as many players, which is what's even more disappointing. Um, obviously, a tight loss to Sale. Can't remember. Why can I not remember any of the week two fi fixtures? Do you know who Sale Northampton played in week two? 
Um, week two, Sale played. Um, I can get it up. No, Northampton, sorry. Oh, Northampton played Bear, uh, Bears on the uh, on yeah. the second week at yeah. home. Yeah, not losing that's not good. Obviously, a tight loss to Sale in week one. So, did they lose a week one at home as well? Or was that at the AJ? Uh, no, I think that was at the AJ Bar, wasn't it? Week one. Yeah. Um, and obviously yeah, picking, up, picking up that big win um, away from home against Newcastle. Um, yeah, it's important. It's really, really important. I think without sounding too disrespectful to Newcastle, I think a lot of fans will be looking at that game thinking that's a, that's a must-win game. But you yeah. have to remember that Newcastle will be fighting tooth and nail for every game, of course. But at home, it's going to be huge for them to, to get those points. So every time someone goes to Newcastle now, Newcastle are going to be gritty as anything. When the conditions are as bad as they were for for both the Northampton game and the Gloucester game up there, it's a it's a tough place to go. So I don't think everyone's going to pick up a win there this season. Um, no. It, no. So- and as you've seen, both both teams that have won there this season, it's been incredibly close and it's come down to the wire. Um, yeah. So yeah, teams can't be expecting a free win up at Newcastle. So big, that's a big win for Saints and hopefully can kickstart the season. As you said, Alex Mitchell is so influential to how they play. So with him back, hopefully they can kick on. Yeah. Um, I, will, I will actually say um, the scrum half, was it uh, Sam James? Was unreal. Tom James, maybe? Um, Sam unreal. James I don't know. Yeah, wait, I'm going to have to get the um, going to have to get his name up just to, to give him credit because he was unbelievable against... Um, uh, against Newcastle, I thought he was by far and away the my man of the match. He was he was brilliant. Um, I will tell you what, the new Prem website's good. Yeah, it does. It looks flashy. It's easier to find stuff. I quite like it. it um, Tom talking James of is, by the way, Tom James. Tom James. Yeah, talking of Sam James, however, we'll move on to Sale. And have I been a little bit right? Maybe um, when I predicted they fall back down to earth a little bit because Rob Dupree's and Gus Wall would stop playing like Pride, Matt Dawson, and Johnny Wilkinson. Hey, or... Rob Dupreeze has been good. I didn't. I haven't watched anything of the Exeter game, so I can't comment on on the performance there. But in the games that I've seen, um, he's been good. Yes. However, what I'm saying is, him and Gus Wall are playing more like him and Gus Wall rather than how they were playing last season, which was more like Matt Dawson and and Johnny Wilkinson in 2003. Yeah, that's probably um, fair. So that's kind of why I thought they would regress. Obviously, Rafi Quirk's been back in, so that's good to see. Um, and yeah. to be honest, they've lost against Exeter at, and got smacked about this week. Um, and we will see how good Exeter are. We'll talk about Exeter later. But at home, they've obviously battered two teams. So we'll see how this rest of the season carries on or whether that was just Exeter really, really good at home or... Um, sale weren't quite at it, but we shall see with them, I think. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Can I just um actually no, ignore me. I will I will speak about them once we get there. Um but yeah, Gloucester. I think it's more to come. Uh Gloucester have been quite bizarre. Um had yeah. two good results. I don't want to say good performances. I think they were pretty poor against Quinns, but picked up a, a big result. I think they almost fluffed their lines against Newcastle as well, tried their best to lose it at the death. Um, and then I think I posted on Twitter. I've never seen confidence drain from a side like it did um, for Gloucester against Saracens. Uh, a very dominant, probably the best twenty minutes of rugby we've seen from Gloucester um, in that opening twenty minutes. And then Sari score a try somewhat against the run of play um, off the back of a disallowed Gloucester try for a, a knock on. And then 
all of a sudden the confidence just dropped off a cliff. I don't know whether they're losing a lot of senior names um, or what's going on there or the change of game style not quite going to plan. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one for Gloucester so far. I think it's the same as what we've seen for several seasons for Gloucester. They struggle in general to score tries and especially in the red zone. If you give Gloucester the ball on the 22 and they attack from the 22, they are quite often more likely to score than if you give it five metres out. Um, because as soon as they get to that try line, they seem to freeze, whether it's white line fever, whether they just don't seem to be as ruthless and efficient as a lot of the other teams are. And when you when you look at the traditional, the top teams in the leagues, the Saracens, the Leicesters, um, they are ruthless. And every time they get in that red zone, they either score or a penalty or a try and Gloucester too often leave empty-handed and I think that's come back to bite them again and also defensively they've been a bit shaky which is has been they've been fairly dominant quite often but as soon as another team attacks they seem to kind of fold which could be a worry moving forward but um, they've managed to pick up some results so if they can keep grinding at results they'll be all right Um, anything I say that's too harsh or no completely agree with all of the above to be honest completely agree um, I do think the one thing is that I will say, and a little bit of gripe I've got, is um, I believe that um, I believe that a lot of the players who aren't featuring are are fit and available, but not featuring. Um, I think if you listen to Skivington's interviews, he says a lot about rotation of the squad, and that's what they didn't do well last season. Um, and then rumours that the likes of Varapada Ruski and Arthur Clark, who went very well, um, Lewis Rizamit, uh, potentially, um, obviously Mark Atkinson might be in there for for selection based issues. Apparently Balmain is fit, Val was fit, I might have mentioned him already. Um, there's a lot of players who are fit and then also the Argentines uh, and Englishmen who are coming back into this team and are available from this game week aren't due to play because of um, Skibbs just wants to to rest them more. So it's interesting if they are under the cosh after a big loss against Saracens that they're going to rest all of these players anyway. I would have thought this would be a prime time to get them all back in and get the excitement building again. Um, I just think this league is too close and too you can't be resting people. And especially key names, as you said, like Valra Pavaruskin, um, uh, Ruan Ackerman, players like this. You uh, Ruan might be injured, but you can't be resting players like this, especially in big a big Friday night game at Kingsham against Saracens, and you're resting these sorts of players. It doesn't make any sense. You need to, especially at King's Home, um, if they want to avoid, obviously we know they came pretty much bottom last year. If they want to avoid potentially being bottom, you've got to be playing this game. You've got to try and win every single game at King's Home. So, okay, I understand you don't want to wear out your players and stuff, but what's the point in having a load of fit players if you end up losing every week? It don't make any sense. Um, Harlequins, I mean, Harlequins obviously lost that really tight, tough game. Well, should have beaten Gloucester, really. Lost that really tight game. And then have looked beaten Exeter, who in the two home games have battered teams, and then won at Bristol. So Harlequins have looked actually with a bit of worry before the, the season started. They've actually looked really, really quite strong. Yeah, I actually don't know what I think about Harlequins so far this season. Um, missing, yeah, missing, as you said, they probably missing, should be 3 0. Yeah, uh, missing 9 and 10 as well. Yeah, I think Jared Evans had a pretty um, sketchy first game um, against Gloucester, but then after that, he's looked 
um, pretty good when he's featured. I mean, yeah, you can't you can't discredit Quinns because they're getting wins. Quinns getting yeah. wins. Yeah, yeah, should be and yeah. Also, I think you look at you look at how Exeter are going. Yeah. To to beat that Exeter team by eight points is is very impressive, seemingly. So, um, yeah, mate, all all power to them because they are uh, they're on a roll, and the, the likes of Smith and things coming back in is only going to propel them. Smith yeah. and Andre Esterhays and uh, Danny Kerr and, and I'm sure a boatload of others. Um, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, Joe Marler. Uh, the only worry, uh, well, not worry, but I'd say. I mean, it's kind of a stupid question. Does Andre get in? But the way Luke Northmore and Will Joseph have started the season, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, surely they they find some. some well, I think you put Will Joseph on the wing, don't you? Northmore to thirteen and Andre to twelve, but um, it's not a given because of how how well they are playing. Um, on to Bristol, and obviously started the season really well, comfortably beat. Uh, was it Northampton? No, it comes to be Leicester. Then they beat a team who I can't remember the second game week at all. At all, what happened? It's because we didn't do a yeah. podcast last week. I bet that's, that's what it was. Yeah, you didn't have to watch. Yeah, Bristol beat um, someone, uh, but then to lose to Quinns this week um, in a tight game at Ashton Gate, they're the sort of ones you would have wanted again. Potentially should have been three and zero. I mean, Vakatar watch. Um, I, I, and Ben Hyde, Van Ransberg linking up and Vaxawa scoring a great try. That's what you want to going to want to be seeing with Bristol. But um, against teams like Quinns at Ashton Gate, these are the ones you need to be winning if you want to be in the top four. Yep, I agree. I think there's still a lot of um, uh, sort of fluidity to come from this Bristol team. I was really impressed with them first week. I, I did can't say I watched them on the second week. Um, we don't but... even know who they played. <laughs> on the second week, they they played. Um... Uh, did they not play Saints? Yeah, they they, they played yeah. Saints away, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Uh, picked up a picked up, well, they picked up an impressive win against Northampton. Um, I, I can't say I watched it, but the the scoreline for itself is is an impressive one. And then narrowly lost at Ashton Gate to Harlequin. So I think they I think that's kind of telling for Bristol. I think they're a good team. They're capable of picking up these big wins. Um, but they need to get a little bit more consistent in the way they do so. They um, look better for my prediction than yours. Uh, where did I have them? You had them about ninth, I think. <laughs> right. well, to be honest, it can, it, it can definitely still happen. I think the, the thing oh, yeah, for yeah. Bristol is the only real big names to come back into the team are Genj and Sinclair. Is there anyone I'm missing? And Malins, Genj, Genj, Malins and Sinclair? Um, off the top of my head, no. But uh, there may be somebody else. Um, I think yeah, the other probably thing... probably is someone else. Uh, well, oh, Chris... your statement, your wild statement that you said um, before the podcast? I think you should. Oh, what I say about Bristol and their props? Oh, I think. Oh, yeah, it's quite controversial. I didn't think you were going to put it on the spot like this. I think right. functionally as a team, Bristol are worse with Genj and Sinclair than um, uh, Warmore and Lahif. I, I, I think because you've got two brilliant scrummagers there, um, and I think they had um, the Quinns pack on on the ropes I think at times and I think they've they're thoroughly impressive. I don't know if as a as a scrummaging pair those two come in and bring you anything more than than what you've already got. Obviously in the loose it speaks for themselves but I think they've you've got ball carriers. You you've got Magnus Bradbury, you've got Fitzhard and you've got Thomas and Thacker. You've you've I'll got that isn't 
that great in the loose anymore. No, I dis I disagree. I think what he does do is link things really nicely. Whereas you you don't see him go through gaps anymore or throw out the back passes. What he does is he'll sit off just enough so you you have to commit, and then they spread it. And I think once you've got the likes of um, Van Rensburg and Vakatawa outside you, you have to um, you yeah it, it catches defenders in two minds. And I think any bit of extra space that you can get in the build up is huge. Um, but yeah, I I, I just don't know if. I don't think it brings as much of an advantage or as severe as an, uh, of an increase in advantage as, as some people think it might. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I thought it was an interesting point. I thought you should bring it to the podcast. I don't know if I agree or disagree, and to not piss off the Bristol fans, I'm going to stay neutral. Um, <laughs> move on to the, probably the biggest shock and surprise team um, so far, Exeter. Absolutely blown out Sale and Saris, who were obviously last year's finalists, at home um, in, in two games, but then lose at Quinns and kind of, it was kind of what, what I saw at Quinns was more what I was expecting from Exeter this season. Looks like a young team um, who got kind of dominated up front and, and, and bullied around a little bit. Um, so that was kind of what I expected to see a bit more of. Um, obviously had flashes of brilliance during that Quinns game, but and then but then the other two games they've been absolutely excellent, flying, looks the quickest team in the league to be honest. Um, so I don't know whether they're just going to be an excellent team at home and maybe a bit loose on the road, or whether whether Quinns are just a really good team. We'll see. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely that. But I think I think the 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 facts of it at this point, three games in. X to have a, a points difference of 90, positive 90. And they've lost That's obscene. And they've got players to come in. Uh, I think this, really. I think that is crazy. I think um I actually would love to just nose off about X at moment because I love what they're doing. And I think we, we mentioned it previously, but the way that they're using their pack, I think is very interesting. Greg Fissalau, one of the youngsters coming in. Um, nominated for Player of the Month now um, amongst some some pretty big names and probably one of the favourites to do so. Um, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Such a dynamic number eight. I think Russ Tuima, I know I've, I've spoken about this before, but but Russ Tuima playing in the second row I think is an inspired decision. I think that is fantastic. A, a huge body, almost French League style um, sort of pack lineup there. I think you've got um, what you'll probably see is Russ Tuima drop to the bench, and then you'll see um, you'll see Christ Chunza and Daffy Jenkins come in. We know that Christ Chunza is probably more of a six um, or more of a seven than a second row, but I think the way that they play, they'll probably drop him in there. Um, that means you've got two really young, exciting, dynamic, um, but gritty second rows there. Ethan Roots, as you mentioned on, on the last podcast, James, has been brilliant as well. I think Nika Abeladza, Dan Frost, um, Scott Co, uh, Aaron Painter, you've got brilliant um, scrummaging players there. You, you, you've got fantastic stuff, and their backline, if we're being honest, is on paper pretty standard it, it, in terms of big names and things like that. But they're all performing so well individually. Oh, they've been electric. They've been kind of the opposite of what we've seen from Exeter um, over the last couple of years. They've been alive. They've been fast. They've been um, flying around the pitch, and as we we kind of said about Exeter previously, they've been very stagnant, slow, 
um, not really offered much in the backs for a good while. Um, and yeah, they're, they're the almost complete opposite of that. Look inventive, smart, quick. Just isn't, I can keep going, but they are look amazing in the backs. And yeah, so nice to see. They brought in some young kids and basically gone, go out there, have some fun and play. And they seem, especially at home so far, to be thriving when they've been given the license to go out there and just have a bit of fun. Because that's what it looks like. I think what they've done is they've built a very strong pack and then just let these youngsters just just fly free in the backs, haven't they? And I think that's only going to... Yeah, they've taken any pressure off them. They've. I I feel like um, the coaches have gone, no pressure, go out there, try stuff, see if it works. If it doesn't, no, don't worry. We'll learn from it. We'll we'll move stuff. Oh, you've got a, a back move you want to try? You can play it. Why not? And so far, it's working. Now, whether when teams obviously they are one of the teams that loses the least amount of players, um, especially with Wales coming back early. Um, but whether teams when they're fully fleshed out can figure them out a bit, and when people get a bit more tape on them, um. And, and video of, of what they're doing, maybe they can suss them out a bit, and maybe the youngsters can't quite adapt as well as as they would if they had a few more senior players, is yet to be seen. But right now, they're absolutely flying, and they've gone from probably the most boring team to watch in the league to the team you've got got to watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the, the key thing you said there is the pressure with it all. I wonder whether that will become more more telling towards the end of the season. Um, obviously, the first season for a lot of these youngsters, right? So maybe come the end of the season when it's crunch time, this will come back to bite them. But for now, at least, they're, they're incredibly impressive. Yeah, and especially when they get a bit more fatigued as well because they're obviously the older guys are used to having a whole season where these younger guys, it's a lot to put on your bodies, especially if you're playing week in, week out. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how the season develops for them, but very exciting scene signs, especially at Sandy Park so far. Um, and then to the team at the top, Bath, who I don't know. I mean, you've got a thing to say about Finn Russell and not about his playing because he has played very well. We all know he's the poster boy for the Prem right now. But... Oh, yeah. It just it, it just absolutely kills me. That he, Finn Russell is obviously an unbelievable player, one of the best tens in the world, probably my favourite ten in the world. I'd say at the moment, maybe outside of Untermack, um, but well up there in terms of my favourite players in, in world rugby. Um, however, I can see it getting very tiring very quickly. Um, the overpraising of everything he does. The the Will Muir try, it was it was a good kick. It was Will Muir was in acres of space. Um, the ball's fed out to him, lovely. He's got plenty of time to set, no real pressure, and he puts a gentle little chip over the top, uh, just gentle little crossfield um, kick uh, it, over the top into the corner. Will Muir catches it and gallops in like he usually does. Very, very nice try. However, the the way that people are waxing lyrical about the kick and the 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 world class kick and the the spacing and the the pinpoint accuracy and all of this stuff. If if a if a Premiership ten, if a Championship ten, probably most Premiership fifteens and Championship fifteens don't make that kick, they get absolutely slandered for wasting an opportunity. So by all means, praise the good stuff, but Jesus Christ, I feel like it could be a a long season praising Finn Russell. Yeah, no, and it's been my gripe with Scotland for a while is everything they do is just 
oh, they're the best. And it just does my head in. It's just like, okay, but you're not the best. Oh, Scotland, every time it's Scotland have done something amazing. And, and oh, it's Finn Russell, he's poetic he, in his movements. He's so good. And I'm just like, calm down. Yes, we know Finn Russell's a very good player. Yes, we know Van der Merwe's a good player. Not everything they do. Van der Merwe scores a five-meter running. They're like, oh, the speed of him, how quick he is. It's like, I score that try. It's, it's, you don't need to credit everyone. It's like everything is world-class all the time. Sometimes it's just easy and they've performed it. But yes, they should perform it. So, uh, yes, I, I fully agree. And like the Finn Russell where he did the out-the-back door for the try against Bristol. I think it's Bristol. No, it wasn't Bristol. Who was it? Sale. Who was it? No. Who was it? Um, oh, Quinns, wasn't it? Was it Quinns? Quinns. Yes. No. Because Quinns went in week two. Who was it? Uh, I don't know, but to be fair, the, I know the other about you talking about him is at the back door. Absolutely unbelievable bit of skill. If you want to la- wax lyrical about that, ha- happy days. It's unbelievable skill. Probably nobody else in the Prem can do that. Uh, it was Saracens. 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 No other ten can do that in the league. However, as you said, a little chip to the corner, like, yeah, you're hoping that it's, it's bread and butter for him. So I don't think we need to. Um, suck him off anymore he is one of the best if not the best 10 in the world he's going to be able to do these things but going back to Bath yeah a weird loss to a Leicester team that have not been going well didn't look great for large portions of that game and they still managed to contrive to lose it even though they took the lead late on um, and that this was my worry for for Finn Russell sometimes is he isn't the best game manager um, and that is the knock on him that we've seen previously is Sometimes when you have these real gritty games, um, obviously got all his kicks in this game, which sometimes has been his, but generally he's, he's solid off a tee. But um, yeah, when you get these gritty games, he doesn't always manage it perfectly and, and they can end up losing. And I think this was a prime example. Um, and obviously I'm not just laying this all on Finn Russell, but um, should have really saw out that game. Um, but a stupid knock on off a kickoff, they literally took the lead, if you haven't seen it, took the lead with about two minutes left, and it was horrific conditions, so I do give a bit of um, leeway to him, but straight off kickoff, knocks the ball on, puts him bang under pressure, uh, and then uh, Leicester get the ball, win a penalty, and, and Jamie Shilcock knocks it over, and they win the game. But, yeah, I feel like Bath should have, watching the game, Bath, it felt like Bath should have won that game fairly, fairly comfortably. I mean, yeah, but then you you do have to give credit to Leicester for turning up because they did look they. Do you know what I mean they didn't they did look good value for it. Um, yeah, you, yeah. you would certainly deem Bath the favourites going in, right? But um, yeah, you have to you have to yeah. give Leicester credit where it's due. Oh but... yeah, and and Bath have been excellent. I don't want to. I just realised I just slagged them off. Bath have been excellent, but it's they've looked good and attacking rugby. Obviously, Finn Russell is brilliant. It's when it comes down to the nitty gritty, and we just want to see him win those games. Um, because when you're paying that much for that fly off, you should win you those games. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely that. And have you seen the ticket prices as well? Yeah, you know, paying for a ticket. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot, uh, a lot of cash. But um, yeah, Bath, Bath have been brilliant, and I think if they keep keep this up, they're going to be in a good spot, aren't they? And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think many places, many teams are going to want to go to Bath to um to, no. to play. So, but yeah. to be fair, that Leicester result did mean that no team is now unbeaten and only one team hasn't got a win. So nice and tight um, in in the league, as we always love. 
yeah, it is an incredibly tough, tight league. So it's um no, I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited. Are we doing are we predicting this weekend? Um yes. Yes. Let's do it. Let's yes, we are predicting. Uh give me two seconds to find Do you want me to lead? I've got them here. I've got no, here. I've got them. I've got them. I've got them. It took me two seconds. I told you it only took me two. And we're starting off. And is this on TNT? Finally, we've got a Friday game that's on TNT. Did Gloucester ever not play on a Friday at this point? That's three weeks in a row Gloucester have played the Friday night game. Um, it is Sale at home against Gloucester. I think it's got to be Sale, hasn't it? I think both teams come off a pretty tough loss um, after two pretty good wins. So, I mean, in terms of the, the form going into the season, who knows? I think Gloucester have only won one game away from home in a long, long time. Um, and that came against Newcastle a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so I look pretty proficient with some boys coming back in. So without seeing the teams, I think, um, yeah, I think you've got to predict sale at home. Yeah, I think AJ Bell is always a difficult place to go. Looking at the weather, I'm pretty sure it's meant to be pretty bad this weekend, which will really suit sale. I think sales pack is probably where they're going to be more dominant. Um, so I think, yeah, you've got to go for sale. I agree. You know what, I'm um, even, even going to double up on that. I reckon sale absolutely hammered Gloucester. I think this one could get ugly. I don't know why. You, I just feel like this one could get You have not been ugly. predicting nicely for Gloucester this year. If you no, remember think, last yeah. week or last pause, you predicted that Newcastle beat them. So I think with, with the, the rumoured Gloucester teams that are floating about, I think they're going to go very youthful, very small. Um, no Ruin Ackerman, no Valor potentially no Pavaruski and no Zach Mercer looks to be confirmed. Um, no Alamano yet, Arthur Clark out. I think you're going to be looking at two sixes playing in the second row. Um, I think, yeah, I think this one could get pretty ugly for Gloucester. I hope I'm wrong, obviously. But well, you seem full of cheer and joy. Um, on to uh, Saturday. And Harlequins are at home against... Newcastle Falcons. I'll go first with this one and I'm gonna go Quinns. Um yeah, give me Quinns as well, I think. Sorry, Newcastle. Newcastle away from home, where it's always a difficult it's difficult to pick them in the boys. Yeah. yeah. Um we'll move on to Northampton are uh, playing Bath at home. This is a tricky one. I'll let you go first. Northampton playing Bath at home. I think that you know what? Give me I'll, t- I'll tell you, this is a tough one, actually, isn't it, to be fair? This this would be a really good game. I think let's go for Bath. I think this would be Northampton's last game for their, their internationals to come back and they start to to pick up a little bit. But um, I think, yeah, give me, um, give, give me Bath. Yeah, it all depends for me if Alex Mitchell plays, because I, I think he could technically play. Yeah, I, uh, I think he can, but I don't think he will. Well, some we have seen certain teams bring their international straight back into the fold. Um, they are listen. Who else are they missing? Uh, Courtney Lewis Laws. Ludlam, Courtney Laws. Um, probably a lot more, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Um, yeah. Tommy Freeman's injured, I believe, which is a uh, tough. Yeah. Uh, James Ram is also injured, which if is those, um... if those players come back in, it makes just experience and leadership on the pitch. Ludlam. Is their captain, I believe. Uh, obviously, Courtney Laws and um, and Alex Mitchell is so influential to them. But yeah, I'm going to go for Bath as well. Uh, we need to not agree on all of these. Um, 
Then we go, what is with this five past three game? Every week there's a five past three game now. Um, do, do you have any idea why there's a five past three game? Well, because uh, why not? Right, obviously. Um, five past three is Sarri's hosting Leicester. Um, I'm going to go for... It depends. Again, this is very much down to selection. If it's been the Leicester team of the last couple of weeks, then I'll go for Sarri's. If if Leicester had a lot of their boys back, I might I might fancy them. But based on the fact I don't think they'll have most of them, I'm going to go for Sarri's. I mean, I, I also fancy Sarri's, um, but I think for the sake of controversy, give me Leicester. Yeah, and you could also be very happy when you see that team sheet if the likes of George Martin... Um, I can't see the England internationals being back in force this weekend. I think they'll probably have this week off and then go again from next weekend. Um, yeah, but yeah, but if they are back, then we've seen it from other clubs where they finish the one week and then they're back in the next week. So could be. Um, and then on to the Sunday game. So back to three Prem games being shown. Hallelujah. Um, Exeter are playing Bristol at home, which. Could be tasty. Yeah, a little derby, little derby going on there. I think, um, yeah, it's a good game. I think uh, I, you simply can't back against Exeter for at home at the moment, can you? No, you can't. But I will. Um, oh. I will because uh, I could be very wrong. But give me Vakatawa, give me Yanzi Jan- Jan- Van Rensburg. Ben Hard, Janzi van Rensburg. There we go. I'll see you say his name now. But give me those players. And Max Malins, I'm sure, surely Max Malins will be back in. He's only played about five minutes in the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, um, it wouldn't surprise me if he was back in, to be fair. Yeah. So give me that back line and they'll do some damage. I think, as I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure the weather's meant to be bad this weekend, which again could suit Bristol. But they both like to play expansive rugby. This could be an absolute cracker. Um, yeah, I'm shall... looking forward to that. Is that the sun- Sunday game at three o'clock? Sunday, three o'clock at Sunday Ooh, bar. That is tasty. I might be going for a Toby Carver on Saturday, James. On Sunday, sorry, I should say. So I might go for get stuck into a Toby and then straight into uh into That's that. An game. Early, early Toby, that. What a lunchtime Toby? Yeah, uh, yeah. See, I'm I'm more of five o'clock, six o'clock Toby. You a six o'clock Toby? I don't think I've ever had a six o'clock Toby. Well, not maybe not six o'clock, but five o'clock. Sort of like tea five time. o'clock Toby. I'd see. I'd say a five o'clock Toby's too early. What do you mean too early? Well, you either go for lunch or you go like Eve, don't you? Well, then I said six o'clock, and you added. You said you'd never been for a six o'clock one. I don't think I have. I think if I was to go, for, I think if I don't think I've been to an evening Toby, but I think if I was to go for one, it'd be a seven o'clock Toby. No, that's too late because then by the time you're home, it's sleepy time. Now you've got to go five, six o'clock. I'll tell you, we'll call it quits. I'll meet you there at half six. <laughs> we'll split the difference. I'll meet you there. You okay. can you can buy the pigs in blankets for the table. Pigs in blankets, bloody yeah. What do you think I'm made of? Money? Preferably. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if I'm joking. <laughs> 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 this is a good time to to say if anyone wants to sponsor the podcast, please do. Uh, please, please do reach. Please, please. I've got nothing left. <laughs> but no, it's going to be a great weekend of rugby, and what a way to finish it with um, Exeter versus Bristol. Plenty of Championship rugby on as well because that is heating up, and I believe it's the first weekend of the Premiership 15 as well. So tune into as much rugby as you can through whichever way of watching you can. Um, 
yeah, some pretty big games. It's almost a relief that the World Cup's over now because we can get fully back immersed into the Premiership because it is going to be a hell of a season. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this one, guys, and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye.